The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. That'll be great. All right, as you turn there, I think that's all I have, but I have a great sermon illustration for you all love short little things. So here you go. I had this in mind for some of you who just look forward to what in the world sermon illustration are we going to open up with. So here it is. You ready? It's a horse and a buggy. All right? So while driving in Pennsylvania, the story goes, a family caught up to an Amish carriage. And the owner of the carriage had a sense of humor because attached to the back was a hand-printed sign that read, and you need to listen carefully, energy efficient vehicle, runs on oats and grass, caution, do not step into the exhaust. (laughs) Some of you are waiting for that all week long. Some of you are still wondering what that is. Okay, go to a farm and you can figure that out pretty, pretty quickly. You know, some things in life are pretty dangerous when you get close to them, especially the exhaust of a horse, right? We'll let that be. But there are also dangerous passages of Scripture. And today's passage we're going to come to is actually a very encouraging Scripture. But what I want to say is it's also a very dangerous passage. I mean, how can a passage of Scripture be dangerous? You ever thought about that before? It's not that its contents are dangerous, but it's tempting to miss the point of what it's about. We're going to read about the blind man and Bartimaeus, or the blind man who is Bartimaeus, and Jesus who heals him. And it's so easy to say, man, if I had the faith of Bartimaeus, if I had this of Bartimaeus, then life would be all good. And that's very dangerous. This is why I think Proverbs 22 3 reminds us that the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. If you're still confused about this, let me say it this way. There are two lenses by which you can view the story we're going to look at. And one of them is dangerous, and one of them is appropriate. You can look at this story through the lens of religion, or you can look at it through the lens of redemption, the gospel of redemption. You see, the gospel of religion makes Bartimaeus the hero of this story. It it reduces the account how a person of faith can learn from Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was healed, so why can't I get healed, Lord? Bartimaeus called out to Jesus all the more, and I call out to Jesus all the more. Why doesn't he answer him like me or me like him? And what we do is turn this into a list of moral lessons rather than to who God is. And, some, and these are titles from actual sermons that I found on sermonaudio.com that came out here. How to get God's attention, the blind man, Bartimaeus. Or buck up and believe, bucker. That was actually a sermon title on Sermon Audio. So let's not do that today, okay? That's a weird title anyway, right? Let's ask some bigger questions. What is the story about? I mean, this is the last miracle of Jesus in the book of Mark. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's climbing up basically 3,000 feet. So why in the world does he have this story in here? That is the question. And this morning, why is Jesus the hero here and not this blind man? I mean, he got healed. That's pretty big news, right? I mean, if you got healed from something, when, when you got out of your house this week, many of you posted on Facebook that you stepped out of your house. That was a big deal, right? Getting out on Thursday morning, you're like, wow, there's a world out here. And it's warmer than zero degrees, amen? It's a big deal. 
So why is this story not about us so much? Although there's a part of that. Why is it more about Jesus? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want you to to be reminded today that Jesus knows what life is like your way in this fallen world. And this is the big idea. So he offers you mercy in a way that's form-fit for your particular need, in a way that only he could answer that thing. But the story is tempting to make it about us, guys, if we're honest, because we want to think that we are better than we are. We want to think we have more faith than we do. We don't want to believe that we're utterly dependent as we are on God. We got this, God. Leave us alone. We don't need your help. We don't want to believe that there's nothing we could ever do to achieve God's favor, and we especially don't want to be compared to a blind man who is poor and needy and weak as he was by the culture. So we want to believe there's something good in us, that somehow God's attention and His favor is on us in in a special way, and it is in Christ, but so often we miss the point of what is going on here. So often we miss what it is about. It's easier for us to keep a list of weaknesses than it is to trust God for all of our weaknesses and all of our strengths. So this morning, I have two simple points, two very, very simple points. Hey, Simeon, Simeon, you need to be quiet, please, okay? Thank you. Thank you for letting us train our kids in church. If you've never had to do that before, you know it's hard. If you have, you know it's hard, so thank you. Uh, He had a birthday yesterday, and he is still on sugar high, so... Well, let that be what it is. Two points for today, all right? Two things. We're ju- this is not a three-point sermon, I promise you. We're going to walk through the text. I just want to walk verse by verse. This is not the best preacher thing, but I want to apply it as we go because I want you to see Jesus high and lifted up, church. That's what this is about. You and I are included in this at some point, as we are in all Scripture, but we are not the hero. Jesus is the hero, Amen. That's what it's about. So with that in mind, if you are able to stand this morning, will you join me in standing for Mark 10, 46 through 52 as we get rolling and go through this time. Mark 10, 46 through 52. And I want you to see what God says here because the story is so rich, but it is about Christ and it's about Christ and all that we have. And it says in verse 46, and they came to Jericho. And he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And verse 48, many rebuked him and telling him to be silent, but he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man and said, take him, take heart, get up. He, that's Jesus, is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, and notice how straightforward he is, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Friends, I listened to a very popular TV preacher on this. Uh, I took 30 minutes and and took the nails to the chalkboard in my mind as I did, and I mean that intentionally and seriously. But this is not about how you can well up faith so much that you can be saved from whatever is in front of you. This is about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hero here. It's not us. But praise God, he includes poor sinners like us in his plan, doesn't he? 
And this is about Christ. And I want you to see that today. So we want to look at the gospel of religion versus the gospel of redemption this morning. Will you pray with me as we start? Father God, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to come and be a part of our church today. We thank you that we have the opportunity to worship together. Thank you that we have the opportunity to be known by you. Father, we love, First John says, because you first loved us. No greater love hath a man than he laid down his life for his friends. Father, your son said that, and we're grateful for that sacrifice. Lord, as we look at this, may we see you, even in the midst of a man who is struggling, as real as that was, may you be the victor here, Father, not us. It's about you, but we thank you that you include us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, I want to walk through this text this morning, and, and I, it is a different type of sermon. It's more application as we go, uh, but I want to remind you as we step up that, that as we get here, as, as, we, as we've seen several times in the last several weeks, Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. Actually, if you look at your Bibles, next week we're into the triumphal entry. Easter isn't officially on the calendar until later on, but we will be in the, the coming of Palm Sunday, as we often call it. He's going to be tried. He's, he's going to be tortured, Jesus is. He's going to suffer. He's going to have all these things coming to him. But before he gets there, he's going to do one more major miracle, a miracle that is going to change this man's life forever. And Bartimaeus, as you saw, actually went with Jesus. He followed him. He didn't just get his gift and run off and do his own thing. He followed Christ. But, but like Mark reminds us one more time here, he wants you to know before Jesus gets to Jerusalem who he is. Don't forget that that is his goal. And so he records this brief little miracle here to remind us of those things. It's like he wants to preach to us one more time about this Jesus. And, and that's why it's so sad that we would ever make the story about us when really it's all about Jesus and what he has come to do. And so they're moving through Jericho with the disciples, and as always, a large crowd comes. And this crowd is friendly to him. They, they hear him coming. They want him to come. But when he comes, he doesn't come anywhere else. You know, you would think as Jesus tries to get away, he'd find a private home and take a breath, but he keeps going to the cross. Aren't you grateful for that? In his humanity, of course, Jesus had to rest, but in his divinity, Jesus knows that, that the sovereign plan that his Father and the Spirit, the three-in-one trinity have made are going this way. But as he gets there, there's this beggar outside the city. We don't know anything about Bartimaeus. In fact, we don't know anything at all. He's the son of Timaeus. That's actually just saying the same thing twice. Bartimaeus, bar means son of, and Timaeus is his actual name. He's the son of Timaeus. He tells you twice for emphasis. We don't know anything about how he acquired his knowledge about Jesus. We don't know how he knew that Jesus was coming, except he probably heard the crowds. But you see there in verse 47, and it says very clearly, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, think about this, guys. He's been blind his whole life, probably. He's tried everything. He's begged. He can't work for himself. He's probably carried or led to this place every single day. So if the story is not about Bar Bartimaeus, then why all this detail? Why give his name? Why, why are we giving his family name? I, I think Mark is wanting us here to focus on the glory and the importance and the redemptive practicality of the hope this man has in his, this moment. I mean, think about this. He's a poor man of one family on the road. He's, he's in between Jericho and Jerusalem. He's, he's unremarkable. There's nothing about him that you'd look at and be like, wow, this guy's awesome. He, he's suffering. 
And Jesus is marching to his important mission, and all of history is moving with him, and, and God's plan is coming to a hedge, and you would think that Jesus would just keep on trucking, right? I've got better things to do. Or as I like to say, I've got bigger fish to fry, or whatever phrase you want to throw at it. I don't catch a lot of fish, so if it's a fish, it's a big fish in my book, amen? That's what it is. But Jesus, you should be too busy for this guy. I mean, come on, why are you stopping for this one blind man on the side of the road? Friends, I want to remind us this morning as we get into this that God does not waste a day. He doesn't waste a day, and he will not waste you. There is nothing so often we get in, these, in God's providence as we're praying through things. We see that we pray, and we pray, and we get so excited. It's like a kid looking forward to their birthday. You know, they can't see anything but their birthday. We just went through the cycle at home. You know, go clean your room, but it's my birthday. No, it's not for like three more weeks, but we get what you're saying. And so often we forget, as Philippians 2.13 says, God is at work in you, quote, to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is using the days that seem to be nothing in between for a great advantage in your life, in our church's life, in your family. God is at work in every detail of history to bring about answers to your long-requested prayers to open doors that seemingly be closed for, for instance, for a family member who you've been praying for for years to come back to Christ or to come to Christ for them to do that, or to save your hard-hearted loved one, your spouse who you've been praying for to come to Jesus, or to deliver you from affliction. Today is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'll be honest, today the world's going to have a big old party, right? At 5.27 p.m. tonight, Central Standard Time, there's going to be a party. And you know what? I don't even have to mention it. You already know what I'm talking about. If you're watching it, that's fine. But you know what, Christians? You have a party every Sunday that's bigger than that stupid Super Bowl, and it's called the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Celebrate it! Seriously. God himself doesn't waste a day. Look, if you watch the game tonight, praise the Lord. If you don't, praise the Lord. Do all the, what you do to the glory of God. The Chiefs didn't make it. You're still bitter, so you probably won't watch it anyway. But let's be honest. I know. Some of you all have your Chiefs jerseys on or are still wearing those things. But look, God does not waste a day. And when God gets in this, you know, so many of us, and I'm this way too, we, we have a checklist and we've got to get done. And God puts something in your path that is just an obstacle to that. You know what the end goal is, but he's calling your attention right here. You've got to deal with this. Guys, I am grateful that God gives us divine interruptions, aren't you? In Jesus' path and providence, he does not waste a day. And if you love him and trust him, you will one day discover, unremarkable as it now seems, it will do you remarkable good. That's Romans 8.28. But we go on, and, and, and listen to this. It's, it's like Mark wants us to focus on this one guy, and he does, and, and, and he says, Bartimaeus. Look back at verse 47. Bartimaeus, serious, he's crying out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Not these guys, have mercy on me. And we won't be written up in the history books, will we? Probably. If we do, it'll fade away. After you live a little while, people won't remember the events of your life. We live in these little mundane moments in little situations in little circumstances that we call life. We only make three or four important decisions in our life usually. Who are we going to marry? How are we going to pay the bills? And will we buy that house? That's usually the three big three that we do, right? 
Or will we have kids? Those are important too, but you get the point. But if grace can't reach us in those moments, if God doesn't care about the kind of person that is there, there's no hope for us. So what a beautiful picture this is. God is saying to us, I am busy. I'm headed to the cross, but I'm not too busy to take care of you. That's an awesome God. Bartimaeus had nothing in himself that would have attracted this attention. And friends, this is the same way you are saved if you're saved here today. God didn't look at you and say, you have potential to be the most awesome Christian ever. He looked at you as a dead, ragged, wretched, rebel sinner. But despite that, he loved you all the same. That is the gospel. And I've got to be faithful to my calling, Jesus might have said. I've got to be a good steward of my time. But listen, there will not be in heaven a numberless company of those who believe if Jesus doesn't care for individuals. Jesus individually has brought attention to this man to show us that his care for us is so great. He cares. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, it'll be on the screen. Very familiar verses. We sang some of these today, actually. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting part of your care on him, casting 90% of your cares, casting all the cares that you can't take care of yourself, no, Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. That is our God. And you must not wonder if he's too busy to hear your prayers. Like a, you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel when he's taunting the prophets of Baal, saying, guys, where's your God at? Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. And as soon as Elijah prays, it, it, it consumes the sacrifice. And what you're going through in your parenting, what you're going through in your body, what you're going through in your marriage, what you're going through in suffering. Friends, the little details that frustrate you and get under your skin, he cares enough to stop and listen to you and me and the small little fellowship we call Tower View Baptist Church. He doesn't just listen to the big church down the road. He listens to the church right here where we have fellowship and where many of you have been for decades and years. Praise the Lord. That's why we have this detail. It's a lift before this one who's walking to Jerusalem to remind you of who he is, to remind you he cares for you. Guys, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Jesus loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life, but that wonderful plan is going to be bumpy at times. It's going to be like driving on most of the roads right now. Pothole, 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 pothole. But praise God, the direction he's taking you is the destination he wants for you, and that is for Christ to be exalted in your life. Church, right now, you may feel like the church is going through pothole, 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 pothole. Did I wake you up yet? <laughs> but I can guarantee you that we just sang about great is his faithfulness. If he cares enough to stop for this one lowly beggar that can give him nothing in return, how much more that he who did not spare his own son will not give us all things in Jesus Christ. And that's not fancy preacher talk, that's real talk that God loves you and cares for you. If you're fighting with someone in this church, you say it's not resolvable, take it to the cross. If you say we can't reach these neighborhoods for Jesus Christ, oh yeah, have you tried our God? He is able, he is sufficient, isn't he? If your marriage is on the rocks and you see no hope out of this, then you need to know he cares for you. He sees your situation. One of the most encouraging verses of all time is Exodus 2, where the people are crying out in slavery, and it says God sees and God knows. He responded to them. That is our God. But it's not because they were worthy of it. 
It's because he was merciful to them. And that's the same thing that's happening before us. Verse 48. Well, he did this, and look what the people did. This would never happen in church, would it? Verse 48. And the people rebuked him. Hey, shut up over there. I can't hear the music. I can't hear this guy. Stop praying. And they rebuke him. And Jesus' handlers didn't share his character. They saw the guy as an interruption. But guys, I want to remind you that you will never pray a prayer to the Messiah that he will receive as an interruption. It is a terrible movie. And don't, it's terrible theology. But 15, 16 years ago, Jim Carrey was in a movie called Bruce Almighty. You may remember this. Throw it away. It's terrible theology. But it, it, he, he, gets, he plays God, which is, a, well, that's terrible theology. Let's leave it right there. But he gets all these prayer requests in an email, and you see him typing really fast, and then he has to turn his attention here, and he's surprised by this. Our God is not that way. Verse 48, he continues. Bartimaeus refuses to be silent. It's in the active voice. He goes in, and he cries out. Your Bible may say all the more. He, he cries out vehemently. He just continues to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the turning point of this passage is not Bartimaeus crying out. He's persistent. But with all the persistence in the world, with all the crying out, you could do that all day. Guys, we cried out all day two weeks ago for the Chiefs to win the game, and God still saw in a sovereign plan not to do that. Amen? Have your wounds healed yet? Seriously. It's not because he cried out all the more that Jesus heard him. It's because Jesus had mercy that he heard him. That's a huge difference. Because if we say, be like Bartimaeus, we're telling you to cry out and cry out and cry out, and you should pray without ceasing. But the only reason that God does not ever not take your prayer is because he has mercy on you. Guys, let us not forget that apart from Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. That apart from Jesus Christ, we have nothing. And then notice what Jesus does here. He stops. He stops dead in his tracks. Jesus stopped and said, call him. He stops for one man. That's mercy. He would not stop for a thousand. He wouldn't give uh, the time of day to rulers and kings. He didn't stop because what was in the man. He stops because of what's in him, Jesus. He stops because he's merciful. I mean, think about that. When he stops, you know things are going to change. It's like when you were a little kid, if you had an older brother or sister who went to school and the bullies were picking on you, but then your eighth grade big brother came by and, oh, you know, they, hey, how you doing? They just walk away really quick, don't they? When Jesus shows up, the whole tone changes. And Jesus next does the unthinkable. You'd think he'd just be like, dude, I'm going this way. Here's your answer to prayer. But he stops. And next he does the unthinkable a second time. Look what it says. It tells us that as he did this, he said, call him. Bring him over here. He calls us poor, infirmed, unremarkable man. And in this moment, we see the Creator standing before His broken creation. We see that the Creator God is standing now looking at the horrible effects of Genesis 1, or excuse me, Genesis 2 and 3, where the first sin entered the garden. He's seen it already, Jesus had. He's healed many people before. But you have to think in that moment, there was a day, in that day, in that moment, he was thinking back to the garden, being God as he can to see all things in an eternal now where there was no sickness, there was no suffering, that he was viewing now all the ravages of the fall and of the sin, and he's standing in front of his broken creation, and this is why he came. 
He didn't come just to heal physically. He came to make all things new. And he comes to make his blessings known, as that old hymn says, as far as the curse is found. And he tells him, take, and they call the, the blind man. It's funny how this goes. The, the crowd gets what's about to happen. They've seen it before. Look at verse 49. And they say to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Essentially, Bartimaeus is getting the most encouraging news ever, and you see what happens. Did you see what happened to himself? He, he jumps up. He goes all Baptocostal on these Baptists all over the place. This orderly service is all gone now. He jumps out of his seat and he runs to Jesus. But I want you to think about what they said. He is calling you. Friends, there are no greater encouragements. You can talk to lots of people. You can get lots of advice. But the one thing that matters is what does Jesus say about this? As he has called you to something, hearing his voice, it just puts to shame all the other voices in your life, doesn't it? And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? That's a dangerous question. Rub the bottle three times, right? Get three wishes. This happened to Solomon, didn't it? Remember when he prayed? Solomon prayed early on, and God came to him in a dream after David had passed. And now he asked Solomon, what do you want me to give you? Power? Do you want riches? Do you remember what Solomon said? Wisdom. That's what I want. And do you remember back just a few verses before? Go back to chapter 10. You got your Bible open still, right? Go to chapter 10. Back just a few verses before. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Mark 10, 35, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And that didn't turn out too well for them, did it? Their mama came, Matthew tells us. They did all these things. Let us sit at your right hand and your left hand. And Jesus laid into them because they should know better by that point. Friends, the one thing I want you to take from this is that there is no one outside the spread of the mercy of the Messiah. There's no one outside the mercy of the Messiah. His kingdom devastates all the standards of race of gender, of station, of power, of money, of appearance, of possessions, or the what-could-be's. If you, we just partner together, what could happen? His mercy levels the playing field. He brought nothing to the table, Bartimaeus did, but all he had was himself. And he was honest. He said, I want you to heal my sight, Jesus. Would you do that? And before this king, he gets, this beggar gets the reception of the king. And Bartimaeus is welcomed before Jesus as Herod would be. Both of them stand before Jesus completely unable to solve their problem, but he doesn't look, Jesus doesn't look at people with the eyes that we look at. It's so hard for us to get beyond that. Jesus sees things differently than we do as God. And he gets beyond the power and the politics and the influence. This is why we struggle with treating people that, that are difficult in our lives with grace, isn't it? Because we see them through our eyes. But his mercy is open. When you run to him, you will see, receive mercy no matter where you are. Isn't that great? This is why we can say to someone who, 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 is, uh, who has run away from uh, things that used, they used to say are, are important to them, like, I, I'm a Christian and I, now I don't want to believe it. This is why we can say to them, if you believe and you turn and you repent, Christ will take you back. 
And friends, that's not cheap grace. That is, in fact, what it is. And, and Jesus, in all this, cares about all that he has done. He's, he's working through this to ask that question, what do you want me to do? I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with this this week. If there were popular preachers out there and Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do? I'm afraid of what the answer would be. I was afraid of my own heart answering that own question. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Well, God, make us this church. Do this, do that, do this, do that. It would all come back to me. But friends, this man was struggling. He had a real request. And I want you to see how he answers this question. He says, Jesus, what do you want me to, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said to him, or the blind man said to Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. The one thing he was asking for time and time again is that, Jesus, would you just, would you heal me? And Jesus does. He does heal him. But friends, I want to remind you one more time that the lessons here are not, here's how to get God's ear or buck up and believe. This is mercy. This is all by mercy. There's nothing this man did. There's nothing this man could have said. There's no, he didn't pay Jesus. All he had was the mercy of God to come to him. If you are a Christian, you are saved because of the mercy of God upon your soul. You didn't come to Christ because of a special prayer that you prayed. You did not come to Christ because the pastor said the right words at the right time. God may have used those things, but you were saved if you're saved because Christ saved you. That's what it is. And friends, as we go forward as a church, I want that to sink in for just a moment. Because if you were saved by mercy, why do we require relationships in our church, in our marriage, in life to have more demands than what God would put on that relationship? So often, God's standard is here, but we up that standard even more. I'm not using any specifics. I'm speaking generally, but that is often how we treat one another. But as this man comes to Jesus, Jesus just lavishes him with his mercy. And he says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? And that's exactly where he goes. And he tells him, and, 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 and these disciples before were seeking personal prominence. This man just wanted to see what it was. And he got his faith, and Jesus tells him, go your way. You have been healed. And notice it says, immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So what are the lessons here? The lessons here are very easy. Church, it's so, it's so easy to come to this text and say, buck up and believe. Just pray harder. Have more faith, man. If you would have more faith, then God would answer your prayers. That's hogwash, guys. God answered Peter when he was walking on those waves. Peter was doing, he was surfing or whatever he was doing. Peter falls down and all he knows how to say is two words. What did he say? Save me. It wasn't in his words that got Jesus's ear. Friend, your God hears your prayers even when you don't have the right words to say, even when all you have are tears. God hears those prayers. Even if you bring to him nothing but sin, his mercy covers a multitude of sin. This is how awesome our God is. Jesus is glorious in mercy, and no matter where I am, no matter who I am, no matter what my struggle is, you run to him, and you will find mercy that meets you in your time of need. 
That is our God. It is not because Bartimaeus had better faith. Our hope is in a Messiah that stops, he calls, he hears, and he touches, and he's the only hero we need, and his name is Jesus Christ. But friends, and this is what it is, Jesus is glorious, but we are Bartimaeus, guys. We have nothing to offer. We have a problem. It's called sin. We can't do anything to get ourselves out of it except when Jesus touches us with his healing grace. He's the only hero we need, Jesus Christ. Friend, if you come, if you, if you are struggling with something at home, if you're struggling with something in this church, in your family, in your work, whatever you are, friend, you don't listen to me very clearly. Jesus does not answer your prayers based upon how hard you try. He answers it because of his mercy. That should be a weight off your shoulders if you've heard that for the first time. Because there are so many people who will say, well, you must have sin in your life, therefore God won't hear you. Oh, well, if that were the case, how did any of us get saved? Well, then, then you must have a generational curse. No, I, don't have, I, I might have inherited some things from my father. I might have seen some actions that were not good or my mother or my family. But praise God, when I came to Jesus, he said that, behold, the old is gone, the new has come. The old has been washed away. I still struggle, Lord, but Lord, in you I can overcome. You do not have a generational hex or generational curse. That is hogwash. If you are struggling to see God answers your prayers, know that he hears you, know that he sees you, know that he's working it out for your good, but it's not because you were good enough. It's not because you were faithful. It's because he is merciful, and that's such a big difference, guys. We, we, all, we will say to the high heavens, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But when it comes to living the Christian life, we want to say that we want to live like we're saved by works alone. Because we want to show God how good we are. Friends, we are nothing except by the mercy of God. Hear me clearly, you should show works if you're a Christian, amen? But it's His mercy that gives you the grace, Ephesians 2.10, to do those works unto His glory. Let me close with just a few more things as we wrap this up. It's a very easy passage, straightforward. But friends, Jesus not, sees not the faceless crowd, but each individual. As if there is no other person, he sees it. You know, I love my friend Jesus, don't you? Because while the crowd gathers to throw stones, he stands on the sidelines with me, ready to embrace the impact. I love my friend Jesus because when he sees me walking down the road, he doesn't jump to the other side as quick as he can. He walks right beside me, even despite me. The people of God can be greatly disillusioned by this thing, that God loves you where you are, but he doesn't want to keep you there. He wants to grow you, Christian, but you have to know it's by mercy. John Piper has well said, and, and this quote is one to take to the bank, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you're probably aware of about three of them. Amen? Is your heart open today? Have you trusted God with whatever it is in your life that you see that is hard, that you're, you're struggling through and struggling with? Friends, you can trust Him through those times. I want to tell you thirdly, and there's just two more here and we'll close. When we get to heaven, we will see that God has answered all of our prayers in the best way He thought possible, the way that is best. I'll be honest with you for a minute. As pastor, sometimes I pray, Lord, would you do this work in this church? Would you raise this up? Would you raise this up? And I'm grateful that God doesn't always answer my prayers in the way, as your pastor, I wish that he would, to be honest with you. 
I'm grateful that we're going through a lean time sometimes financially. Because you know what it does? It makes us not look to this. It makes us look up here. When we go through times that God puts us through as a church, it makes us ask the questions, what is most important to us? What doctrines are most important to us? What issues are most important to us? When you go through a hard time as your family, doesn't it bring things into perspective? It really does. And friends, there are things that you're praying for now that God is giving you the most mercy in by just simply flat out saying, no, that's not how it was. Paul prayed how many times for God to take away the thorn in the flesh? I'm looking at my scholar here, Nathaniel, was that blindness? Was that persecution? Who knows? It's something. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but God told him what? No. My grace is sufficient for you. You may not always get your prayer answered like Bartimaeus got his prayer answered, but God's mercy is in saying no or try this this way. I thank God that as we, uh, I thank God for all that Nathaniel knows this process as we apply to various churches. I thank God that he closed doors where in our minds we would have said that's a perfect glove fit. That's, that, that, that's like, man, just slide into home plate, win the World Series 2015 all over again. Here we are. But I'm thankful that God called us here. Because my strengths are not necessarily the strengths that always lead this congregation well. It's, in fact, through weakness that God uses my leadership here in a lot of ways because I biff up a lot. Christian, that's why sometimes you look at your spouse and you say, I thought all perfect matches were made in heaven. (laughs) Amen, they are. And God put that spouse in your life so that you would rub against them and they would rub against you so that you would learn it's not by your scheming, planning strengths that you get through that marriage. It's by your mercy. Christians, guess what? You're in this church with people you may not like and they may not like you. It may be superficial. It may be deeper than that. But God has put you in this church at this time, at this place, for this purpose because you know what? Through your weakness and their strength and your strength and their weakness, together we go forward as a body of Christ by grace alone. And that's what we know. But it's by His mercy. Friends, we need to cry out all the more. We need to cry out like the widow in Luke 18 who prayed until that ruler said, Enough, old lady. Get what you want. Get out of here. We need to pray continually. But we need to trust all the more that whatever God has for us, He's the hero. And Lord, if I have to be drugged through the mud, it's better that than to be drugged through the bowels of hell for eternity upon eternity because you've saved me by your grace. God has, if you're struggling, he has a specific form, fit, solution to your problem, whatever that is. Do you trust him? That's really what it comes down to. Church, you may look at this church and say, I don't know what happened. Where did all, what, what about this? What about that? Well, you know what, have you just simply said, God, how can I be used right here, right now? And I've often asked that question, to be honest with you. Be honest with you for a minute. There are days that I look across the church and I say, Lord, this is well beyond me. And it is, praise the Lord. But it's another chance for God to do what only he can do. And that is to bring grace and mercy to situations and people that he can solve and I can't. Guess what, parents? That's, That's your struggle every day, isn't it? You're not able, but God is. Let's pray as we close out today. Father God, we just want to thank you that you are the hero. You're the one who sovereignly, before the creation, before the foundation of the world was laid, you had mapped out everything as it should be. Yet, Lord, at the same time, you allowed 
in your grace us to make real choices, to make real decisions that affect real things. But Father, you are the sovereign God. We would not be Christian if we don't believe that. We believe you, you, you ordain 